Welcome to Investor Talk Radio, hosted by Kurt Davis. During the show, Kurt will share tips and strategies as well as guest interviews on how you can become a successful real estate investor. Kurt Davis was a former chef for 11 years until one day had the opportunity to take a leap of faith, left cooking, and became a full-time real estate investor. Kurt has been building his personal portfolio of rental property and at the same time has helped over 500 investors around the globe purchase cash-flowing rental properties. He is a licensed realtor who has achieved multi-million dollar club status, and he is also very active in the local real estate investment club. And now, here is your host, Kurt Davis. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Investor Talk Radio. I'm your host and founder, Kurt Davis, and joining me for the second time actually is Robert Field. Robert, welcome to the show. Kurt, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here today, and I'm so thrilled. Whenever we get to get get together and talk about some advanced real estate techniques, and also you know, kind of try to spearhead some things that help newer investors get a foothold on their journey. You know, things that I wish we had 20 years ago when you and I started. Absolutely. Now, for anyone who's listening or watching, because we're actually recording this today, is uh, if you're not familiar with Robert Feel, I'm going to give you a few. Uh, brief bullet points about Robert. Now, Robert is a former school teacher uh, in the Memphis City Schools. Uh, what did you teach? I was a music teacher. I taught K through five music. For I knew that many years. I knew that. Uh, Robert has a degree in deaf education. He has a second degree black belt in martial arts, and he just received his purple belt in jujitsu. Congratulations! Thank you. It took five years of training almost every day, so it was a very exciting time. It's incredible. Uh, Robert is a junior Olympic volleyball coach. Uh, he has a master's in classical guitar. We have, we've, well, uh, almost. We're, we've been working on uh, getting the, the, the master's and doctorate in guitar. We've made a lot of headway there. You are a barbecue champion. Uh, you've received uh, state championship titles in Virginia and Arkansas for barbecue sauce, first place, That's and right. in Mississippi, uh, brisket champion. Now, that was when we got the perfect score, correct? Um, well, we, we, we had a perfect score in ribs in Mississippi. We won first place. We didn't quite have a perfect score. We were very close there, but we uh, also um, recently hit the 700 Club, which in Kansas City Barbecue Society means that uh, you're almost close to a perfect score in all categories, so that was exciting. That's incredible. Thank you. Uh, and for about a decade, starting in 2009, you were the founder of uh, pieces of the Puzzle, Dreams and Creative Real Estate Investing, which was actually the number one weekend uh, talk radio show on 990 KOM, correct? That, that's correct, and you were a co-host with me on many, many episodes. Uh, we've had such a wonderful time there. It was a lot of fun. Now, one thing I didn't write down on here, which of course you know I'm reading from this because I want to make sure I don't miss anything. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that when I moved to Memphis and started real estate, I actually worked for you and you were like my first real estate mentor. That's true, and I think you were my first uh, real estate employee, so to, <laughs> so, so to speak. You know, being a teacher and not really having a corporate background, but uh, that was a very, very good experience, you know, learning how to manage people and, and, and learning, you know, people like you that have just amazing work ethic and work performance, and then working with other people who, you know, are always just trying to slide by. And when you get into the world of entrepreneurship, like we're in now, and you're hiring staff, you know, you're really looking for the best, and you know, Kurt, you taught me what it means to be the best. I appreciate it. Now, we're going to be talking about the short-term retirement program, uh, which is a book that Robert wrote. Um, I just actually received this last week. 
and I have been able to get into a good portion of the book. Just so, just released. Just so released. exciting. Very exciting. So um, you can order this book on Amazon. Uh, we will be providing a link uh, uh, below where you can click on it and check out if you want to want to look at it. But uh, before we actually talk about the book, let's talk about you. Where are you from? Well, originally I'm from upstate New York, a small town called Rochester, New York, which is uh, about a mile, about an hour away from the Canadian border if you actually take the ferry across Lake Ontario there. So, Did you ever go uh, to Canada? Uh, we've been to Canada many times, <laughs> so that's considered the big adventure trip when Ooh. you're in grade school, you get on a bus and go to Canada. How does somebody from Rochester end up in Memphis? Well, uh, do you want the long version or do you want the short version? Kind of like the in-between version. Well, the short version is uh, I grew up in Rochester in a single-parent home with uh, my mother who worked three jobs, and it was all about going to school and getting good grades, and I think you understand you know, oh, yes. kind of the standard American dream. Oh, yes. So I went to Syracuse, and I um, was a triple major there, um, undergraduate, and I graduated, and then I taught school, and in New York, if you don't, if you're a teacher, and you don't get a master's degree within five years starting teaching, you lose your teaching license. So after I taught for a few years, I ended up getting a scholarship to uh, one of two all-deaf colleges in the nation called the National Technical Institute for the Deaf, where everything is taught in sign language. So I went to fulfill my requirements for New York. And uh, during that time, uh, I was playing and performing uh, classical and jazz guitar and fingerstyle guitar. Had a pretty good following around Rochester, and I got invited to audition for the graduate program at, at the University of Memphis. So I flew down here, I'd never been to Memphis, never really been in the South, um, and I was awarded a full graduate scholarship to come down here, and part of that was teaching guitar, and that was kind of my dream at the time. So I sold everything I owned, and I uh, moved down here with my German Shepherd. Mm -hmm. I lived on the railroad tracks yeah. over in Orange Mount because yeah. I had no idea, you know, where to go. And I was broke at the time. You know. It was close to the close it was to college, very close to the school, and it was like five fifty a month. So. Sure. So that's how I came to Memphis. Uh, so you moved to Memphis and you started teaching and attending class, correct? Uh, well, yeah, I was teaching at the university, and I was, uh, you know, taking class. Um, you know, and a lot of that is performance based in the world of guitar. So. Uh, performing in master classes and giving concerts and a lot of independent practice and study. But basically I ended up uh, about a year later I took a little break from university. I had been offered a full-time teaching position in the Memphis City Schools. Mm -hmm. So I took took the position full-time and I taught for about five and a half years in the Memphis City you Schools. You sound busy. It was very busy time um, but I wasn't really getting anywhere. That was the interesting thing. I was teaching you know, five days a week and then lesson planning on the weekends and summertime when you have, you know, summer break, I was teaching, at, you know, workshops and camps and trying to make, you know, an extra thousand dollars here and there. Sure. And I wasn't really getting anywhere. So that was uh, kind of part of the hiatus from, well, the impetus, I should say, for me to start to think about taking a hiatus from teaching and, and looking at bigger things well, in real estate. <coughs> and that's what I wanted to ask you. How did how did real estate come into the picture? You're teaching full time, you're busy. Where does real estate enter the picture? Well that's a great question, Kurt. I know that's kind of a loaded question, uh, it, but it's it's a loaded question, but it's a it's a great question and it's a question that I think a lot of listeners out there maybe can identify with. The my original retirement plan, and I'll share this with you and you will now laugh was to spend 30 years teaching in the Memphis City School District 
and to buy 10 duplex homes. And my thought was, I have 30 years until retirement. It takes 30 years to pay off loans. So 30 years from now, assuming I'm alive and healthy, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can start living I'll the American a, dream. I'll have a pension and I'll have 10 paid off duplexes, which would give me you know, a significant income. Well, you know, on a teacher's salary. But the problem that I ran into was when I went to buy my first duplex and I was at the closing table, the lender came over and in front of the closing attorney, the agent, and a bunch of people I didn't know who were all sitting at this big table was like kind of yelling at me. It was kind of, I was just obviously very hard loan to get done. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you'll never get another loan. You're, you have too much debt. You have $100,000 in student loans. Your credit cards are almost maxed out. You're lucky I got this. You should be thanking me right now. And I wanted to crawl under a rock. You're like, can I and, just quit? You know, but you know, I finished signing. I'm like, well, at least I'll have this one duplex, yeah. right? The retirement plan's shot because sure. you can't get to 10. Um, but it made me realize that in order to get to 10 duplexes for me, I was going to have to start looking at some alternative uh, parts of real estate and aspects of real estate. So that was where I really started to think about the fact that a traditional plan for someone in my financial situation was realistically not attainable at the time, given my financial condition. Sure. Um, so you bought this duplex. You're in theory, now you're a real estate investor. So to speak. S- <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so to speak. I have one, one duplex and I own my own home with a big loan on it. From <laughs> So from the time that you purchased this first duplex, um, What's kind of the the backstory into getting involved in in more of a because you know, eventually at some point in time you quit teaching to mm-hmm. get into real estate full time from the time that you purchased that first duplex to the time you could say you're getting into full time real estate and you're really at that point where you're looking to walk away from teaching because now teaching is really kind of getting in the way of real estate. What kind of time frame are we looking at what What are some of the things that maybe happened? In between that, because keep in mind, you know, back in this time, uh, the real estate, the sexy real estate shows about flipping homes and all that kind of stuff. There was none a, of that was happening. Well, and I'm kind of glad yeah. that none of that. I didn't have any of that. Of course, I didn't have cable either. Yeah, but real so. estate, real estate investing wasn't as popular then as it is now. So, what, no, what would no. you what, kind of fill in some of that gap for me? Well, the way the way it started for me was um, I had a girlfriend at the time who was from Savannah, Georgia, and she came from a really wealthy family. And she thought my real estate uh, ideas, the ideas of buying duplexes and becoming wealthy through, let's just use real estate acquisitions mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. She thought it was an absolute joke. Uh, you know, her dad was a doctor and uh, anyways, lost her and made sure she broke up with me shortly after because her parents told her that, you know, I was a school teacher and that's all I'd ever be. Sure. Which is the best thing that happened to me at the time, but you know, a little bit of a bump in the road. Of course. And around the same time that that happened, I had a friend, and I talk about this in the book, named Rob Seward, and Rob Seward was 26, and he was diagnosed with terminal lymphoma. Um, he was a good friend of mine. He was a gaming friend. Um, you know, he and I would play Magic the Gathering and other games at uh, this local game store. It's kind of how we developed a friendship. And he, one day he came over, it was a few weeks before he died, and he had two books with him. And he said, my dad and I always talked about investing in real estate, but 
because I won't be here in a few weeks, you're the only guy I know who might be able to use these books. And he gave me two books. And one of them, I don't remember the name. I, I, I was just going to ask. It's somewhere, but the other one was a book that changed my life. It was called Building Wealth by Russ Whitney. Okay. And I read the book. And if you know anything about Russ Whitney, he was kind of first-generation real estate investor writer. Mm -hmm. But Russ Whitney also was a high school uh, dropout, and he uh, spent time in prison and, uh, you know, is an ex-con, right? Mm -hmm. um, totally turned his life around. He's total hero, you know, rags the richest story. But in his book, and I don't know if it's because he dropped out of high school, so he wrote at a very understandable level, which... I could relate to or whatever. He talks about in his book how there was one transaction he did where basically he had four homes and they were all seller financed. And he went to his banker and his banker often offered him a really significant discount interest rate to refinance these four homes. But let's say he owed $100,000 on each of these four homes, so he has 400000 in mm -hmm. debt. And his banker said, you know, I can give you a loan up to 200000 And what Russ did, which to me was genius, and I've used this technique a lot, but of course I never knew that you could do this, is he went to each of the, the lenders that were private lenders that had long-term loans on his properties, and he said, listen, I'll pay you off in full. And he said, I'll pay you off if you give me a discount. So instead of me paying you for 27 more years on a 30-year loan, I'll pay you in full. But I can't pay you the 100000 What's the least you'll take if I can give you a lump sum of cash in two weeks? And all four of those guys discounted it, and he ended up taking $400,000 worth of debt, reducing it to 200000 just by slashing the debt on paper, cut his interest rate in half, refinance it with the bank, he improved his cash flow a month by like $2,000. And, you know, he would have had these houses. He goes on the story and paid off in like a, a couple years. And for me, that was where the light bulb went on. Because I thought to myself, well, traditionally, I go to the bank, I get turned down. But there's people that will hold a mortgage for me, mm -hmm. and then I might be able to discount it. And if you've read the book, we talk about that in mm -hmm. the first chapter, how I paid off. It's actually my favorite chapter of the book. Yeah, how I paid off my Adirondack vacation mm -hmm. home. Uh, for a fraction of its value using that technique. So that was a real light bulb moment, and I have to give credit to my friend who did pass away a few mm -hmm. weeks later uh, for giving me that book. So that was kind of the first entry. And the second entry was I was attending my RIA group, which you were on the board mm -hmm. of the local RIA here for many years. Mm -hmm. And they had a guy named Scott Reister who came in here. And Scott Reister talked about uh, well, a term that we use called wholesaling. Sure. The idea that if you find a deal, but because if you don't have cash, credit, or capacity to close the deal, you can take your contract and essentially sell that contract for cash to more qualified and credited investors. Do you remember your first wholesale deal? I do. I do. Do you remember how much you made? I do. I re Yes. How I much was it? It was $3,786 and like 25 cents or something. Now, that's, that's, that, that's a good little check for your first wholesale deal, but... Um, when you made when you made that, how significant was that? When you looked at that and the time invested compared to your teaching salary and what you made, that's a great question. The most important thing that I want to share here is that I took the seminar. Um, the way the RIA group worked here was mm -hmm. 
uh, the speaker came in Thursday, stayed over Friday, and then we're teaching all day seminar Saturday. Correct. So I went Thursday, and I listened to um, Scott Reister, and then it was like $70, which was like all of the money that I had in my checking sure. at the time. So I run in the check. Friday, went to my teaching job. Saturday at 8 a.m. at the University of Memphis, I rode over, uh, sat in my chair, and brought a little notebook and took notes. And at the end of that workshop, it was 8 to 5, I had learned so much. I thought to myself, I, I can do this. And the same week, I went and I found a deal, 735 Kent Street. How did you find it? Well, there's a website here uh, called crylife.com. Mm -hmm. And because and crylike.com gives you access to the multiple listing service. So I started to look at properties that I thought were undervalued in the sub twenty thousand dollar range. And I was able to find a house for ten thousand. And a teaching colleague of mine bought it from me the following week for fifteen thousand. Now I didn't I didn't close it properly or I would have made five thousand versus sure. thirty seven almost thirty eight hundred dollars. But when I got that check and I walked out of the attorney's office that was more than a month by about $200 of my teaching pay. And I how, how many hours did you have invested into that transaction? Maybe maybe four. Maybe four. And I thought to myself, this, this is going to change things for me. Because I just did this, and I barely started. And with that newfound confidence, now I, now I, still, I kept my job. I was not leaving my job at the time. But it was a real game changer for me. And it, and it made me realize well, you know, there's a finite number of times I need to do this before I have my $100,000 in student loans paid off, before I have my credit cards paid off. You know, it's not sure. going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But if I work hard and I keep doing this over and over and over again, I can really get some financial traction. Sure. So essentially, you started out wholesaling. That's exactly how I started. Yeah. Because the lender, sure. uh, when I closed the duplex, said, said you can't buy anymore. Yeah, luck. Sorry. Yeah, and uh, he he actually did me a favor. You know, he actually did me a favor, and I think you'll you'll agree that in the world of real estate, when a door closes, that doesn't mean the answer is no. Another one opens. You'll knock on another door. That's right. So you start wholesaling. Obviously, things start to pick up. You're wholesaling more. You're closing more deals. Checks are getting bigger, and you obviously get to a point where teaching gets in the way. I'm sure. Yes, I, I'll say I came to a crossroads, so to speak, and the crossroads was I took a local investor here out to lunch who I had bought some wholesale deals from me. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, I was doing well. And, you know, I happened to have a teaching assignment, which was I really loved. It was great. It was kindergarten through fourth grade. I had a lot of free time. It was, which I was using to find deals on the multiple listing service <laughs> at the, uh, using, using the school's internet, that. right? And that was great. And I mean, the point there's the principal would look at me strangely when I was faxing contracts back and forth. <laughs> this is before the days of yeah. us. Dying you know, sign. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. So the way it worked out was I took an investor to lunch who I, ha I had a lot of respect for. I saw him teach at the local REA group. And he said something to me that day, which ne I'll never forget. And I can see that, that day, the way the words he said to me, even though it was so many years ago. And he looked at me and he goes, Robert, I've watched a lot of guys get into this business. He said, but I've been watching you. We've done some deals. But I watch you. I watch how you talk to people and how you think. And he said, I've never met anybody before who has. And he paused for a second. 
and he made it. He clenched his fist and he goes, "It," and I was like, "I don't, I don't know what you mean." And he goes, "I like a gift for real estate investing." He's like, "You have it," and he's like, "I want you to come work for me." Naturally, my response was, "Well, that sounds great in theory, but you know, I I'm tenured now with the school district. I have benefits." You know all these sure. things. Scary to think about. And, but I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, I make fifty thousand dollars a year now, so if I could work full time for a hundred thousand, then that would be and get benefits. That would be sure. great, you know. And he goes, well, I pay five hundred dollars a week, and there's no benefits. And I'm sitting here doing the math in my head, and I'm thinking to myself, five hundred dollars a week is like me taking a fifty percent pay cut. Mm-hmm. Plus, I have to pay for my health insurance. Yeah. And then he looked at me. He said, "But instead of you wholesaling houses to me, what if you just find deals for me, and you find me five deals a month, and I pay you two thousand dollars per deal?" And at that point, you know, I'm looking at the ten thousand dollar a month mark plus five hundred dollars a week. Sure. Granted, it's not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. But I had worked with this gentleman long enough to know that he was very legit. And I went home, and I, I, I talked to my girlfriend about it, new girlfriend, mm-hmm. who's now my wife yeah. for 15 years. And I did it. I, t- I took the jump. I went in, and I told my principal that I was leaving, and he was really very gracious about it and very kind, but he was very sorry to see me go. Sure. And that's it. The following Monday, I went in, 8 a.m., and... There was a guy named Ryan who was sitting next to me at a table just like this, and he took this, what was an old flip cricket mobile phone, and he <laughs> slid it near me like this with the charger, and he goes, "Good luck." And I thought to myself, "What's that mean? Why is he? Why is he telling me good luck?" And if you've ever gotten the world of renting houses full time, yeah. you understand. So that was that was the transition, but I'm very grateful for that. I think I would have meandered into real estate full-time at some point had that opportunity not come along sure but that put me in the crucible really really put me to the test sure and I'm and I write I write significantly about that in the book about how becoming a rental agent in my opinion is one of the greatest resources somebody who is broke and wants to get into real estate can do a lot of people think well I'll go get my real estate license I'll become an agent sure and to me it's a lot more work. There's no, there's no comparison to being out taking 200 calls a day and meeting people who want to rent houses or don't want to rent houses. But we can talk about that later. That's, that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I know we're going to skip a lot here. Obviously from the time that you took that position and, and came aboard that company and really started your full-time real estate investing career, you've owned several businesses since then. You've uh, amassed a personal portfolio of many, many homes. Um, I kind of want to get into the short-term retirement program. <clears throat> Again, it's the short-term retirement program. We will have a link for this that you can check out. Um, purchase the book if you like. You should get a copy. It's incredible. Right there. Looks it's a very you know, nice cover. That's a strong cover, by the way. Do you like the logo? I do. The, lo- the short-term the retirement. Phoenix logo. rising from the flames the roof or the, line. something like the, that. The roof line. And I love it. So yes, we're uh, very pleased with how it turned out, and I. I have to give a shout out to uh, New Shelves Publishing and uh, bestseller builders here mm-hmm. who are the uh, kind of publishing advocates who brought my book to the market through Dark Horse Solutions. They've done a, such a phenomenal job. 
Uh, they only work with like 20 authors a year, and I was fortunate enough to be selected uh, as one of their authors that they chose to bring my book to market, so I'm extremely thankful, and I'm really pleased with how it turned out. Well, I know you've put in a, a lot of time, a lot of sweat equity into this book to get it to where it's at. Simply put in a nutshell, for the, for the listeners and the viewers, what is the short-term retirement program? What is it? Well, the short-term retirement program is more of um, a cognitive mindset. And the book's broken down into three parts, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the short-term retirement program is kind of a mental construct of sorts that's designed to get you out of debt permanently and put you in a position where you can leverage other people's efforts to become financially free. So that's it in a nutshell. Sure. And I want to give you an illustration of it, mm -hmm. okay? Now, you and I have been friends for a long time. Yes. But we could just as easily interview anyone here in the room. We could interview, well, Craig might be a little bit of a different story, but, you know, any, any of the film crew here or, you know, your mm -hmm. agent, any of your staff. And realistically, do you think it's realistic to say that they were all encouraged to do well in school? Correct. Okay. And they finished school, and they were all encouraged most likely to go to college. Go to school, get a good job. Work thirty years. Okay, just you're getting ahead of me. Sorry. So they sorry, but then go to go to college, whatever the cost. Correct. Would you agree with that? Yes. Get student loans. Take out as much student what, loans whatever, as you need to. What, I just used the words whatever the cost. Mm -hmm. You know, different people leverage it different ways. The most common is student loans, mm -hmm. which student loan debt is the biggest debt in America today. It exceeds credit card debt. The total credit card debt of American citizens is surpassed in trillions by student loan debt mm -hmm. today. So, and then you get out of school, and you're encouraged to go get a safe, secure job mm -hmm. and get benefits. Is that right? Yes. And then you're encouraged to buy a house, mm -hmm. and you're encouraged to get, uh, a, really, you don't have a choice. Most people, they only will qualify for a 30-year loan. Correct. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. And you also would agree that most people, when you get a job, you give, you give part of your check, a significant part of it, to the IRS and to Social Security tax. Would Correct. you agree with that? It's, you know, it's involuntary. It's just it's unavoidable. unavoidable. It's unavoidable, you know, unless you want to go to prison, which we advocate following all laws yes. in the book. This is yes. not a book on dodging taxes. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, Curtis, do you agree that, and I'm trying to think of, of how to put, put this, most people would fit into a box. Well, let's let's make it easier. Do you agree that about seventy six percent of Americans uh, are living paycheck to paycheck and don't even have five hundred dollars of discretionary disposable income? Yes. Okay. So what we've done is we've described three quarters of the nation, and they all have three things in common. One, most if not all of them have been encouraged to go to school, do well, and whatever the cost, they're going to get student loans. Most of them go and get a safe, quote-unquote, safe, secure job with benefits where they capitulate half of their check to taxes, right? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, most of them get a 30-year loan where the remaining half of their take-home pay is capitulated to the 30-year loan payment every month. The housing payment would be their biggest payment. Correct. That's what I call the trifecta of death. Okay? And once, once you get on that thin gray line, and you cross over where you have a job and half of your check goes to taxes, where you have unbankruptable student loan debt or, and or significant credit card debt mm -hmm. and or both, and you have a 30-year loan, 
You might as well throw in a car payment. You're, as far as I'm concerned, you're done. Now, when I say you're done, what I mean by that is unless you make a radical discretionary change, there is no way you can climb out of that. And I show why in the book. I show why because of the mathematics involved with the amortization schedules, how the banks are, pay themselves first for really the first 21 years of your mortgage, um, a variety of other <coughs> factors involved. But as far as I'm concerned, that's the trifecta of death. Now, somebody who takes $50,000 a year home and salary and has a trifecta of death is doomed. But most people think when they get to $100,000 a year, that's considered wealthy money. Would you agree with that? Yes. I've shown mathematically in the book the $100,000 a year earner hits a trifecta of death. It's the same thing. They're broke at a higher it's 50, level. It's $50,000. They're broke. They're going broke on $100,000 a year. The $200,000 a year earner, it's the same. Okay? Why? Because they're giving away half of their money to the IRS and to the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. Well, to the, to the Federal Income Tax. And then they are giving 40% minimally of their take-home pay to a 30-year mortgage. And you just can't win that way. And and if that is all anybody gets out of reading the book or from this podcast, that's the most important lesson I can impart. You know, and, and it's funny, I, I think back, because, uh, you know, we worked together. You were my first mentor in real estate. Thank you. Um, we separated for a while. We came back together a few years later uh, working with another. That was fun. See, it was a good that time. Was really fun. Now, I remember, I remember sitting in the back office, and I remember you had these crazy ideas. Now, now for the listeners there, for me, the short-term retirement program uh, in its infancy, to me, was just really a... A, a more radical way of structuring. It's like an accelerated private correct. lending yeah. program. It's a, it's, it was a very creative private lending program, <clears throat> and it's and it's funny because uh, if you don't mind, I got a few examples. I, I don't mind. All right. So for for people listening and, and the viewers, uh, part of the way that this actually kind of worked back in the day was: is say you took a sixty thousand dollar property and you purchased it doing the standard twenty percent down plus closing costs, and you put it on a thirty year program. That's that's it's essentially what everybody does, right? Cookie cutter. Exactly. Now, the cash flow that you make monthly is great, and you've got a good return on investment. But what I wrote down here was I ran this through a, a mortgage calculator, and the principal and interest payments that you will make total over 30 years is basically called $135,000, principal and interest payments. Now, what the short-term retirement program was, when I remember in the very beginning, but well, that's about double, right? What they paid, they borrowed yeah. seventy, and they're going to owe, they're going to pay back one forty yeah. over time. Correct. So now, in this example, we take that same property, but we put fifty percent down, mm -hmm. and then I now keep in mind this is a program for real estate investors. That's kind of what what this initially started out as. So for the real estate investor, they're going to put fifty percent down, but we're going to put it on a true seven-year Amortized loan. It's seven year note. Correct. Fifty percent down, seven year loan. Now the interest rate was a little bit higher on this one, but running this through the same calculator, principal and interest total at seven years was fifty one thousand six hundred dollars. So I remember when you talked about this, because this was such a radical concept, I remember feeling or thinking to myself, Well, no one's gonna do this because it's always about the cash flow. Cash flow is low. The return on investment is low. Why would somebody do this? 
five years felt like an eternity in theory. Mm. But what's so funny that I remember is, is that five years later, for the people who were doing this, that's how fast it went. Oh, yeah. You look at a guy like, I don't know if you remember Terry Summers. Was yes. Yes. T Terry and I taught, taught periodically once or twice a year, and, and he says to me, Robert, I'm financially free because of your program. Yeah. And, of course, he was buying at the right time in the post-2008 collapse Correct. where things were so inexpensive. Correct. And, you know, he leveraged heavily into that five- and seven-year program. He's got, like, 20 paid-off homes today. And that's that's great. That's, that's all great. But the short-term retirement program was not... I did not write this 400-plus page book for people to build a real estate empire. Correct. I wrote this book, and this is what I call Volume 1. It's really designed as three volumes. If I could ever find time out of my schedule to sit and write. It's, it's designed for the people that are in that trifecta of death mm -hmm. who just want to get out. How do I get out? And it starts with understanding not even basic principles of real estate, but understanding how the U.S. economy works. I mean, this book is, is partly an economic primer. And I'll give you an example. Um, most people don't even understand that the Federal Reserve, uh, they're, they're, they think it's a branch of the federal government. And it's, it's not. The Federal Reserve is a private bank. It's a division of the Bank of England. It has nothing to do with the government. It doesn't answer to the government. The government, for all intents and purposes, answers to it. It decides what rates are, whether they go up or down, if the U.S. Treasury, and I detail this in my book, but it's interesting to know because a lot of people don't understand how it works. If the U.S. Treasury wants to print money, it has to go to the Federal Reserve and get its permission to print money in the form of an electronic transaction. Like, example, uh, say a million dollars needs to be printed by the Federal Reserve just to put into circulation. Well, the Federal Reserve approves it and then will send it a million dollars digitally, right? And in return it gets the Federal Reserve gets US Treasury notes and you know which can be sold at a discount and so forth. And this is all detailed on the Federal Reserve's website. And what you realize is, you know, and those treasury notes, the US taxpayers pay interest on it. The biggest part of the federal debt, aside from entitlements, is interest to the Federal Reserve. So What's really going on here? Well, what's really going on is you have a private, non-U.S. entity issuing U.S. people currency at interest. Um, it's a terrible system. It passed in 1913. And the Federal Reserve on its website has a stated mission of uh, controlling uh, and creating an inflationary policy, which is allegedly, you know, based on market conditions, fixed about 2% a year. Well, what does that mean? What that means is that if we had a dollar 50 years ago, that dollar has now gone through inflation and a dollar attrition, what I call dollar attrition, to zero as of today, which means that the currency of the United States is eroding at a rate of 2% a year. This is why a gallon of gas, a gallon of milk, a gallon of organic milk today, things that you know you would pay 79 cents for when you were growing up in South Dakota is now 7.79. It's not because milk is getting more expensive, it's because the dollar is, is experience and attrition. Now, what does that mean for the person in the quote-unquote trifecta of death? Well, this is what it means. What it means is that if you're not paying off your bills today, if you're not able to leverage money in today's dollars, everything that you're, you're tabling, it gets more expensive down the line. Buying a home today is the cheapest it's ever going to be. 
barring extreme market conditions, right? Mm -hmm. And assuming that homes appreciate, for example. Like your milk, barring a glut of milk in the milk market, for example, is never going to go down from today's prices. It will only go up. The same thing with gas. I mean, you see fluctuations, sure. But if you want, if you look at it's the, always on a steady. If you look incline. at if you look at time versus price, the the price is always uh, on a gradual incline. Well, that's because of the Federal Reserve. That's because its goal is to create inflation. And when you create inflation, and there's many economists out there that would say Robert Fiore doesn't know what he's talking about. But as far as I'm concerned, the only thing that the book is for is for the safety and security of the American family, the American citizen who chooses to go to work every day. That's where my interest lies. And inflation hurts those families. It hurts them every day. You feel it at the pump. You feel it at the grocery store. And when you capitulate half of your taxes to the U.S. government, and then it gets sent as foreign aid and other entitlement programs, spending that doesn't even go back to the citizens of the United States, it's very hard to get ahead. And that's, that's part of what the book is about. The first section of the book is titled Money as a Mental Construct. Understanding what is money, what does it mean in your mind, and what is your belief set and your belief systems with money. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Can I give you an example sure. that you will appreciate? I can't wait. As you and I grew yeah. up, grew up as kids, would you would you agree? Did you ever rake leaves for a living? Sure. I mean, we raked, mowed, all that stuff. Okay. Did you ever do it for money? You never rake, raked your neighbor's yard for ten bucks. Maybe. You never mowed your neighbor's yard for ten bucks. Probably. Okay. You probably did. So let's just say back in the days of Craig Davis youth, you needed to make some money, right? For whatever. What were you interested in back as a kid? Skateboarding. Skateboarding. You can get a new pair of trucks. That's right. How much was a new pair of trucks? 20 uh, bucks? Yeah, 20, 30 bucks. Uh, Tony Hawk style? Of course. Okay, we'll call it 30 bucks. So you're going to go mow your neighbor's lawn. How much are you going to charge me to mow this lawn, Kurt? Maybe like 30 bucks, right? Try to get your 30 bucks. And she'll be like, well, I'm not going to pay you 30, but I'll pay you 20. And you're like, oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So you go and earn 20 bucks. It's close to 30. Then you go to somebody else's lawn and you get your $20. But never ever are you thinking about going over there and say, listen, this is what I'll do. I'll charge you, I'll, I will mow your lawn the whole month for $150, as many times as it needs. Well, but you know it, maybe the, the it's not the rainy season, so you only mow it twice. So it's an advantageous transaction to you. Because all you're thinking about is a $30 pair of trucks. Sure. Money, in your mind, is defined as a $30 pair, pair of trucks. Correct. And you are asking prices, you are trying to command prices within that $30 economy. Do mm -hmm. you agree? Yes. Never do you think to yourself, well, maybe I should you know, start a lawn mowing business and get all my friends who want to buy trucks, and I'll pay them $8 an hour, and I'll charge her 20 and then I could override it by 10 We think in terms of very short term today. Your average paycheck to paycheck worker. Example. Say they take home a thousand dollars every two weeks. Not unrealistic. Most Americans make about thirty-two thousand dollars a year. Would you agree? Yes. So take home thousand dollars every two weeks. Now, if the brakes go out on that person's car, well, let's let, let's say this. So, say they don't tithe. Tithing is important, mm -hmm. as we, but we're not going to get into that. Sure. Tithing is defined as giving ten percent of your money. If that person, you say, well, listen, you should tithe. 10%. And they're like, well, I don't have enough money left over to tithe. I really need that $100. In their mind, they don't have enough money to tithe. Agreed? Yes. But let's say 
their money is truly spent and the brakes go out on their car so they can't get to work and their brakes cost a hundred dollars to fix is that person going to be able to go and find a hundred dollars work to get a hundred dollars they would probably work to keep their brakes going right yes they're going to come up with a hundred dollars somehow somewhere whether it's cutting their own spending or whether it is going out and raking the yard they might go say listen I'll rake your yard for 50 bucks. Okay, great. I'll mow your lawn for 50 bucks. They go up and down the street. They, they get up $100. But the point is is that they're always thinking about getting, like, you can't make it work. You can't make tithing work because you're short. But when an emergency comes up, you can make it work. But they're never thinking about more than $100. They're thinking about, how do I command this crisis? That's because money is all a mental concept. It's, it's, it's symbolized in paper and silver and gold and other precious assets, but in your mind. This is why a $30,000 a year earner, if they lose their job, they start looking for $30,000 a year jobs. Never do they think about asking for a $50,000 job or seeing who's doing what. We talk about that in the book. Money is a mental concept. It's a construct. And you have to understand that if you want to become wealthy. Fascinating. Do you really think that's fascinating? I hope so. I can't tell you're bored or fascinated. No, I have my eyes closed the whole time. Uh, No, it it is fascinating because you're right. A lot of people don't think of, they don't think of this. They just think of the initial need. It's like, I need a hundred bucks. What can I do real quick? You know, when you were talking about that, I thought to myself, what what happens in that break example is is that they have the hundred dollars. It's just they're going to rob from, you know, they've allocated that money for something else. They're going to take that money and use it for that because that's the desired need right this moment. They need that. They'll have to go without something else. Yeah, that's that's one way to do yeah. it. Or the other way is they might they might go and try to, you know, go do some day labor or something and that takes a variety of forms. And and the point is, is if you can make that hundred dollars, but if you change your mindset and you say, Well, instead of make I need a hundred dollars, but I'm gonna try to make two hundred. I mean, it's a simple example, but sure. they would have made double. Do you understand yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? And it it becomes it's really more of a focus. And the book talks extensively about this. It's like you have to get your mindset out of a position of scarcity. Now I'm not talking about uh, things like the secret or the law of attraction here or things like that. And I'm not dismissing that those things work. I'm saying that when you have a mindset of scarcity and I, you know, we used to think of the word fixed income. Do you remember that word? Oh, yeah. Fixed income as people that are on a pension or people sure. who Social Security. Social Security. But the reality is, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who draws a salary is on a fixed income. And is full time is on a fixed income. They're actually on less than a fixed income because if you're trading dollars for hours. So right. what, what happens if you don't get 40 hours that week? What if you only work 35? Well, you, right. And this is not, and the thing is, is that. You know, n- not everybody can be a full-time real estate investor. Being a full-time real estate investor requires, it's extremely capital intensive. It's very risk intensive. You know, I think about the amount of money that I've borrowed over my life, that I've paid back, I mean, millions of dollars that I've paid back. And that type of risk is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, y- but in the book, I talk about the most important thing, the most important part of the short-term retirement program for the average person is making your biggest payment Go to zero. Now, what is your biggest? Pay- what is the average working class person's biggest payment? It's going to be their mortgage. It's housing. 
housing across the board. You know, hundred yeah, percent of people. Whether surveyed, it's a mortgage or their rent, right? Family feud. You know, next yeah. time you're on, you know, survey says a hundred of a hundred people surveyed. What's your biggest yeah. payment? It's Board not housing. my credit card. It's my mortgage, right? right. Um, you know, so how do you get it to zero? How do you get it to zero? Now, a lot of people would hear that and they would say, "That makes no sense. You can't get your housing payment to zero." You know, and most mm -hmm. people, if you ask them, how many people do you know who have a paid-off primary residence? Not most many. people don't know anyone, mm -hmm. and our goal is to change that. And they're using and, the short-term. And, and a lot of people program. only think that people who have paid-off houses are an older, you know, people who are. Older yeah, that's than how 60. you and I used to think. It's sure. like, oh man, my aunt and uncle, you know, I mean, they're both in their seventies, but they've got their house paid off. Look, they must be rich. And would you agree that a lot more people who are sixty-plus these days have mortgages as opposed to? I would, people. I would, and I think that also you have the quote unquote reverse mortgage, which oh. is happening, which is beyond the scope of this. Yeah. But financial solvency doesn't come from winning the lottery, it doesn't come from getting a contract as an NBA star. Financial solvency comes by understanding that if you can leverage the efforts of others to pay your bills and structure your bills in a way where there's a very finite amount of time that you have those bills in your name and you know interest-bearing debt, for example, you can become very wealthy, or at the very least, financially independent. I'm talking about no bills. Sure. I'm talking about having a surplus of five to $10,000 a month in cash to do what you want, when you want, with the people you love. And that's, that's what the book is about. Now, how has the short-term retirement program that you designed been working for you? How are you, how are you taking advantage of it, if that's a, a way of oh, asking I mean, that it's, question? It's been amazing. I've been a proof of concept for the success of the book. I mean, we have, I mean, we have our, our farm, which is, mm -hmm. you know, a very, very, I mean, I don't know what the improvements we've made. It's probably valued about half a million dollars. It's paid off in full. Uh, we have a very significant number of homes in Memphis, about 16 or 17 buildings that are paid off, including commercial real estate. And then additionally, uh, we have, as of today, about $99,000. Well, I made my payments this month, so it's probably going to go down to about $92,000 of, <coughs> of debt um, remaining on all of our real estate. Now, I, I did also just buy um, a vacation rental on the ocean, uh, which I put on a 10-year note, but I use on financing. So I'll be talking to them about a discounted mortgage payoff shortly. But that's another story. Now, the first chapter of your book is my favorite. Would you would you, would you, you mind kind of sharing no, it? No, I, I don't it's, mind. It's my I, favorite. I, I, you know, I, I made sure to put this in the, in the front of the book because I thought that this, the, the chapter title, if it, if it doesn't engross you, then maybe this isn't the right book for you. And the chapter title is called An Interesting Story, How uh, to Buy an Out-of-State Vacation Home Without Using a Realtor, Finance It Without Using a Bank, and pay it off in full without giving the lender all the money sure. in less than one year. And it talks about how I bought my Adirondack vacation home, um, which, you know, in a nutshell, I, I grew up, I spent my summers in the Adirondacks, and I always mm -hmm. wanted to get a place of my own. But they're all $500,000 up there, you know, if you're on the water, and it's very expensive, it's a tourist economy. So I used some creative real estate techniques to uh, purchase the home, and the way it worked out was I put an ad in the Daily Paper. Now, I write about all this in the book, so sure. I'll kind of give you an abridged version mm -hmm. here for the sake of time. I put an ad in the Daily Paper up there, which I described the text in there. And, and, and about the book, the book has all the components, tools, and resources that you need mm -hmm. to do exactly what I've done. You know, this is not a book where it's like, hey, 
read all this and then if you're interested in, in you know let's move you to an online platform sure sure a lot of real estate investors um, do that a lot of people who are marketers do that and I can't I can't fault them for wanting to do that but I wanted my first book to be a very comprehensive tool more of a textbook and, and a complete primer where you know and then we kept it affordable at 1899 where if you're really your backs against the wall financially you can buy this book and now you have hope mm-hmm. now you have the tools you need but to finish the Adirondack story, uh, I put a little ad in the paper. And we got a lot of calls from people that weren't suitable for us. They either had a house that needed you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of work and we didn't have the capital for that, whatever. We were really looking for some a house in good shape that could accommodate our families and maybe we could get some seller financing. And then we ended up finding one. And they wanted $120,000. So, so they called from the ad in the paper. So I found the house without using a realtor, sure, right? Sure. Because I placed like a ten dollar ad in the paper. Mm-hmm. So that's how I found the out of state vacation without using a realtor. Now they wanted one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the house, and we bought it for ninety. So we negotiated it down to ninety for one hundred fifty thousand. And I said to the seller, I said, "What is it you need?" And then she was like, "Well, we need twenty-five thousand dollars to move to." They were trying to move out of state. Sure. So I gave her the twenty-five thousand, and then she gave me a sixty-five thousand dollar mortgage for thirty years. So that's how I financed it um, without using a bank. The, sec- the second part mm-hmm. of the, the title. And then about six months later, she and I were talking on the phone, and she. Uh, needed some more money and I was planning on reaching out to her anyway because I had been saving some money to try to have this discussion mm-hmm. and she's like the way it started it was coming it was Christmas time and she was asking me to send her a couple extra payments and I said you know listen if you want I've been saving some money but I don't have the $65,000 saved up is there a way that we could just settle the mortgage for a lump sum of cash And she said, well, how much cash do you have? Now, as I described in the book, if I tell her how much cash I had, which which was nothing close to $65,000, then then I'm going to lose. Then I'm I'm haggling. Say I owed $60,000. Well, now we're negotiating a payoff between $60,000 and $65,000. So I didn't say that. I said, well, how much would you take? And she goes, $35,000? And the minute she said $35,000, I knew I was going to pay it off for a fraction of the $65,000. But I said, look, I don't I have that. I said, the most I have is 22000 And she said on the phone, she goes, that'll work. And then we talked about the logistics of it, which is I wired 22000 to her closing attorney. She came in, picked up the check, and signed the mortgage release. $65,000 debt disappears for a fraction, and I did that within six months. And that's how I paid it off without giving the lender all the money in less than one year. Love that strategy. Now people read this and they think it's an, until they read the end of it, they think this is an impossible subtitle. Mm -hmm. But this happens all the time, Curtis. And you as an investor yourself, a full-time investor, one of the top investors in your field, you know that this works. It does. So when you take these powerful tools and you put them into the hands of a person who doesn't know that much about real estate, they can be very successful and it really opens up a lot of opportunities. That's what I'm excited about. That's why I want people to buy the book. That story never gets old, by the way. It's well, it's great. It's a great story, and it's you know that I mean that house obviously has. I don't want to get into the details of it, but it's you know we have it paid off obviously, sure. and it's appreciated. I mean, a great deal, a tremendous amount, and yeah. we're very very excited about that. It's helped improve our net worth, <coughs> which, as I talk about in the book, net worth worth is really, it's really it doesn't mean anything. 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it means things to bankers, it means things, but do you really care about what your net worth is right now, or would you care if you had no debt and $15,000 a month coming in every month? Option number two. Right? I yeah. mean, it's like, what's your net worth? Who cares exactly. as long as I can keep this up, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, we're kind of nearing the, nearing the end of our time here, but... And it's um, been such such fun time. I hope this has been good for you and good for your listeners. So it's always good. I, what would you say, like, a, what would be a final thought, a final message for the listeners and the viewers? What, what would you like to say? Well, something that I think is really, really important to understand is that the, the keys to your health, financial freedom, and happiness cannot be found in the major media. Small podcasts like this, books like the Short-Term Retirement Program and other books written by people who have really done it before. Like, I've really bought and paid off houses. I really came from a broke, single-parent home where my mom worked three jobs, you know. I truly did have a significant, almost six-figure amount of student loan debt, you know, and it's all paid off now, and I did it all myself. You know, we did win the lottery. I think it's important to understand that you know the way the way the media is going right now, and then the political comp- climate in the United States, is designed to keep people distracted from self improvement, from health and wellness improvement, from you know learning how to eat the right foods that will keep you healthy. Food is medicine. You know, my wife has a blog called Family Wellness Journal, which we're we're very proud of. And you know, we when we made the rub, for example. Um, you know, we use all fresh ingredients, including a butter-based powder. Um, and, you know, I talk with the bottler about in the importance of fresh ingredients. It's like fresh garlic powder, fresh butter powder, fresh, you know, ground black pepper. Like, the idea of that food can be medicine for you. All of these ideas are suppressed in the media, and they're suppressed with an idea. I'm not interested in going to war with the media, but it's important that, and of course I was in radio for 10 years, but if you want to become financially well and you want to become you know, physically well and healthy and you want to become mentally well, those answers lie in you know, person-to-person interactions, podcasts, getting the information, things like this. Mm-hmm. Whenever the media wages war on people, and, I, and I'll say this, and I, I don't want to get on it, but we really, uh, you know, we, we have our son mm-hmm. um, who's autistic, had a vaccine injury. And, um, you know, if you read about this, a lot of this is suppressed in the media. There's a guy right now named Del Bigtree um, who has a show called The High Wire, which is one of the top podcasts in the world. And this guy is under attack all the time. Um, and the question becomes, why? So the media has an agenda, There's especially when it comes to today's political climate. And what I've really stressed to my students and to my staff and in our family is, you know, we don't, we don't watch those. We focus on how can we improve ourselves today? How can we stay healthy? Today, obviously, I've undergone a big weight loss, and mm-hmm. you know, in, in jujitsu, with um, and of course through eating also. But more importantly, I think you know the future of the United States, kind of the core ideas that we as Americans hold, is going to be found in things like you know peer-to-peer lending and, and podcasts like this. So be encouraged. The information is out there. If I can write how you can get out of debt in a 400-page novel that. Uh, you know, it costs less than $19. Hopefully, you know, you can take that to heart, apply the strategies, and get on the road to recovery. And then you can start tithing. You can start helping other people, and we can all lift each other up together. It's wonderful. I want to thank you so much for having me. It's, I just, I, you know, I respect you so much. You've been one of my closest friends for so long. And 
you know, of course, my path has not always been perfect. I've had some peaks and valleys, so to speak, and the sure. valleys seem to be much deeper when you're in there than maybe they really are. Yeah. You've always been there and watching you watching you excel here by Memphis now and, and with this podcast and, and of course your new coaching I'm so excited about too. So it's it's, uh, it's going to be a wonderful program we're excited to. I, I know you're trying to, to keep that under wraps right yeah, now. It's so coming. We'll it's talk coming. about it. But. Well listen uh, for the listeners and the viewers the short term retirement program authored by the one and only Robert Feel. You can get your copy on Amazon. It's Amazon Prime I believe. It is on Two Prime which is cool. It ships free for eighteen ninety nine. And if you could, <coughs> if you read it and you like it, if you could leave me a great review, I don't want to use the word five-star review, but I feel like now, you know, because I'm an Airbnb too, you, yeah. you live and die in the world of five-star reviews Ratings. on Airbnb and, and Amazon, sure. but a five-star review would certainly be appreciated. Um, if I can help you, you can email me, robertfeel at gmail.com, and drop me a line when you get the book. I'd love to hear if you like it, if there's something you want me to add. The beautiful thing about today's world of publishing is, you know, if you left something out, you can always update the file and, and edit in the next second edition. And we will have links uh, in the podcast description as well as uh, the video description uh, where you can click and order your own copy today. So that is going to wrap it up for this edition of Investor Talk Radio. I'm so glad that uh, we got a chance to talk a little bit about you and the book. So. This show was produced by Kurt Davis and KurtDavisOnline.com. All rights reserved. To reach Kurt Davis, you can find him on the web at www.KurtDavisOnline.com or email him at Kurt at KurtDavisOnline.com. Everything you heard on this show should not be taken as personal or professional advice. You should conduct your own due diligence. Opinions or comments of our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Kurt Davis or KurtDavisOnline.com. 